The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 4 through 7. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. The epistle lesson is from James chapter 2, beginning verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you will pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise out of respect for the Lord to hear the gospel. The gospel lesson is from uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephatha, that is, be opened. 
and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The sermon for the 15th day after Pentecost is a sermon, the sermon text is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, as is in, and is entitled, A Matter of the Heart. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text for this morning's message is Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've always been a big sports fan. From a young boy, I have enjoyed playing hockey, baseball, soccer, and basketball. In my youth, I would engage in any sport that others were playing. In all sports, there are set boundaries. A pitch in soccer, boards in hockey, a court in basketball or volleyball. Even in less defined sports, there are boundaries. Golf has longer grass or bunkers to make you play within the structure of a hole. Racing has a paved track that is more advisable to stay on. Sports are not the only places in life that we find boundaries. Actors and musicians play within a stage or a camera lens. Card players have the confines of a table. Our everyday lives have places, people, and situations with which we are comfortable to be engaged within. Normally, we choose to associate with people and places that we are familiar with. We have set our own limits, the field of play, so to speak, that we like to play in, and anyone outside of that field of play can make us feel uncomfortable can even cause us to judge them. Our gospel reading today deals with such territorial issues. Jesus is in Gentile territory, a place that most Jews would never have been caught in, and especially doing the work that Jesus was doing. The religious leaders certainly felt that Jesus often had overstepped the boundaries of a religious teacher and criticized him repetitively. 
Yes, our Lord certainly had a reputation for pushing the boundary lines. Today, we hear of Jesus leaving Jewish territory. He deliberately went to Tyre and Sidon. This region had a reputation of being hostile to the prophets. It was the homeland of Queen Jezebel, wife of King Ahab, and the enemy of the prophet Elijah. Why Jesus came to this place is just speculative, but we do know that he entered a house, and when he arrived, did not want anyone to know. Fame certainly has its advantages, but not when you are trying to get away without anyone knowing, as we see today with celebrities and the paparazzi. Even after arriving at the house, our text says that Jesus could not be hidden. And so word spread quickly that Jesus was in town. And as soon as she heard of it, a Syro-Phoenician woman came to Jesus. She wasn't looking for Jesus' autograph or a picture with him or just a chance to meet him in person. No, she came in humility with a grave concern about her daughter. She fell down at his feet and begged Jesus to cast out the demon that plagued her daughter. Now, this woman was certainly not of the same playing field of Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish religious teacher and she a Gentile. So perhaps the response of Jesus is what we might expect of the Jewish religious leaders of his day, but not what we have known to come from Jesus. For he says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Did we just hear that correctly? Not right to take bread from others and give it to those in need? And what was that he called her, a dog? Is Jesus playing favoritism here? Does he judge this woman for being outside the Jewish family? Sounds rather racist, doesn't it? Now we are all familiar with the English idiom never judge a book by its cover. Metaphorically speaking, this phrase means that we should not judge the value or worth of someone simply by their outward appearances and certainly not because of their nationality. That message is front and center in our mainstream media today. Treating all with dignity and equality and fairness is certainly a message that we would all agree with. James, the brother of Jesus, in today's epistle says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James clearly says that if we do show partiality, then we ourselves have become judges with evil thoughts. Instead, he implores us to hold to our faith in the Lord of glory by loving our neighbors as ourself. No one likes to be judged and excluded. Neither does anyone like to think of himself or herself as someone who judges others. But even Christians are not exempt from this kind of behavior. We do it all the time. We form first impressions of others based on what they wear, look like, their skin color, the way they talk, 
their job, their bank account, and the list goes on. We judge others, we judge what others do by a standard that we have created for ourselves. God's standard, however, is different. Love your neighbor as yourself. Truth be told, we transgress this Christian code of conduct, our field of play, all the time, and much sorrow, hurt, and sadness follow. We constantly make snap judgments about people around us based on their appearance, what we perceive them to be saying, and our own desires within us. We claim to listen to what they are saying, but we often don't take the time to invest ourselves into their lives, digging deeper into who they are in order to understand our neighbor's needs and get to the heart of the struggles and or joys that they have. In the epistle reading, St. James touches our hearts very bluntly by asking a tough self-examination question about faith and the absence of the confirming evidence, good works. What good is it at all? Yes, what good is faith if you fail to love your neighbor? How can faith even exist without love toward others? Faith, it is only concerned with yourself, is no good at all for your neighbor. If we judge our neighbor because they don't exhibit the same characteristics that we think important, well, then your neighbor's needs will be overlooked. Playing favorites based on outward appearances is the way of the world. The Gentile woman and the man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, of whom we heard in the Gospel reading, are often the last people we see living in our midst, because we assume they can't do anything for us. We frequently seek what is called a quid pro quo, expecting something in return for what we might do for others. But God never practices such selfish favoritism, and he expects the same of those who fear, love, and trust in him above all things. But is not this what Jesus himself was doing in our text? Was he playing favoritism with a woman who was not Jewish? Certainly not. We can see the seemingly insurmountable religious and cultural differences and sensitivities at work here. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the Savior of the world. As Simeon reminds us when he beheld the infant Jesus, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus had certainly come for both Jews and Gentiles, but first the Jews and then the Gentiles. If Jesus was indeed here in the territory of Tyre and Sidon to escape the criticism and judgments of the religious leaders and get some rest, well then we can understand that this woman approaching him might have been just a little early in the game plan of bringing salvation to the Gentiles. She certainly agrees with Jesus that salvation comes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. 
Yes, Lord, she says, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And you know what? Sinners as we all be, with judgments and favoritism and selfishness deep within our hearts, we are all dogs begging for our next crumb. Kneeling before the Lord in humility, this woman looks to the mercy and grace of our Lord, looking only for a small peace. Her vision, her humble request, is not large enough, though. When our Lord went to the cross and paid for the sins of the whole world, for your sins and mine, he provided overflowing bread, not crumbs. The overflowing bread of heaven comes off the table with the abundance of crumbs, forgiveness, life, and salvation that is more than any of us needs. We see this in Jesus' ministry as he feeds more than 5,000 people, and then later 4,000 people with meager portions. He heals the sick, the lame, the blind, the demon-possessed, the woman's daughter, and a man unable to speak. No judgment, no favoritism, but all of Jesus given for them, and, yes, for you on his cross of life and by his resurrection on Easter morning. As 21st centuries of Jesus, as 21st century followers of Jesus, what do we learn from this? We might think we have it so much more together than our first century counterparts. We live in a multicultural society where acceptance is the order of the day. We don't have the same religious, cultural boundaries and restrictions that were evident back then, do we? And why that might be true in one respect, there are other boundaries and limits that we still abide by in our lives without even being conscious of it. For instance, we might understand in theory that the full blessings of God's kingdom are available to all peoples of the world through what Jesus has done. But what does that mean in practice for us? Do we cross the boundaries and share that gospel to all the people we encounter in our lives? Or do we pick and choose who we are going to have faith conversations with? Do we consciously see every person that we encounter as someone who needs the grace of Jesus in their lives? Do we stop and listen and meet people where they are at their, in their journey? Do we only let the crumbs fall from our tables? We don't, however, share the crumbs of God's grace to only certain people but invite all people to share a seat with us at God's heavenly banquet. We rejoice when someone, no matter who they are, enters into a faith relationship with Jesus. We rejoice when someone discovers that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We rejoice when someone experiences the fullness of life in Jesus that far exceeds our limited expectations. With the coming of Jesus, the boundary lines have shifted, and the whole world comes under his authority, his mission. And even now, Jesus is reaching out to embrace all the people of the world so that they too can come to know him and the riches of his grace. 
even as you and I have come to know him and to live in his grace. And we who have received more than crumbs from him now love our neighbors as ourselves, so that in our dealings with others they may participate in the eternal heavenly banquet prepared by Jesus himself. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>